We're working our way through the book of Romans, the letter that changed the world. This is part 55. This is a big subject tonight. Uh, um, either we won't finish it or we might go a touch longer and, and, and cut back on some of the things. It's an issue that comes up over and over again. People discuss it, especially when you come to Romans chapter 14 and the verses we're going to be looking at. I'm going to read the verses But we won't study them in detail tonight. I'm going to read the verses that introduce a subject. And then I'm going to pull some other verses together, looking at the subject from a a higher up kind of view. And then we'll later on, maybe next Sunday night, analyze these verses phrase at a time. But we we won't get to do that tonight. I just know we won't. Here's the question. Did Paul teach that strong Christians don't have to worry about going to church on Sunday? And I'll tell you why I phrase the question like that. Last week, we were studying Paul on the issue of eating certain things, eating meats and diets and regulations that were involved in the Old Covenant. And as people came to Christ from a Jewish background, they found it hard to leave a lot of those regulations behind. They had been raised in them for so long. Of course, Gentile Christians who came into the church, they would not have that kind of teaching in their background. They would have no qualms about any dietary regulations. And so this became a real point of conflict in the life of the church. The same thing with all the days, the holy days and festivals that were set aside. That's kind of where we're looking tonight. Romans 14, starting at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That seems strange to me. You'd think what Paul would say is, it's not an essential feature. Uh, Don't worry about it. Don't be so pig-headed. But he doesn't. They have these differences of opinion, and then he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one observes the day, honors it, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, see now he's bringing in the same thing, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. What are we going to do with those words in verse 5? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So, So do those verses teach that we need to honor the Lord's day or not honor the Lord's day? Do they teach that all days are the same? That each person can decide when, where, how they will set time aside to worship the Lord. Can everybody just do his or her own thing? How important is Sunday? What's the relationship between Sunday and Sabbath? Is there a relationship? Is there an abiding scriptural meaning to the concept of the first day of the week as being the church's day of corporate worship? Is it still the 
Lord's Day. If it is the Lord's Day, how is it the Lord's Day? So you can see all the questions that come out of this text. We'll come back to some of them at the close of the teaching. At this point, it simply points to the questions that we're we're studying. Before we come to answer them, I want to, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to take a fairly detailed look at the biblical teaching about the Sabbath day and the Lord's day and the particular meaning of each. So I'm going to look at a number of passages of scripture. We ought to know this. It ought to be important to us because here we are. Why are we here today? It's the kind of thing we need to think about. Point number one. The foundational significance of the Sabbath was the setting forth of a visible witness that there was one true God who was the creator of all things. I have two texts from the book of Exodus. Exodus 28 to 11. You'll know these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? Why shouldn't they? For, so that's the because word. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Here's another one, Exodus 31, 12, and 13. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to keep, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign, a sign. People will will see this. That's what a sign means. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So those texts are similar, not quite the same. The first one, keep the Sabbath because it shows that I created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. That life didn't just happen. The universe didn't just happen. Keeping the Sabbath testifies to a creator. Fine. The second text says, keep the Sabbath because by it, I, the Lord, sanctify you. You recognize a creator. You're going to experience my sanctifying influence as you keep the Sabbath. Now, that's where the whole subject starts. That's where the Bible begins with its teaching on the Sabbath. That's not where it ends. A lot of Christians kind of stop there. It's just the beginning point. God creates in six days and he rests on the seventh. He doesn't rest in order to worship, of course, for the obvious reason that, well, God doesn't have anybody to worship. And so our rest isn't exactly like his. But just as God said to Moses, the creation of the world by the one true God, it receives permanent testimony, permanent witness through this rhythm and completion of six days plus one, the Sabbath. 
You don't even need your Bible to see the truth of this. If you want proof of this, consider the fact that we still have weeks. Don't rush past that. I mean, we have days because we know that's how long it takes for the earth to revolve once on its axis. That's why we have days. We have months because that's how long it takes the moon to orbit the earth in all of its phases. And we have years because it takes one year for the earth to complete one full orbit around the sun. That's the science lesson for tonight. Why do we have weeks? There's nothing specific in the realm of astronomy that coincides with weeks. The online Encyclopedia Britannica cites the creation account in the opening chapters of Genesis as the only valid reason for the presence of weeks in our keeping of time. Like, that's really striking. We think in terms of weeks because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. It means that every time we say we're going to do something somewhere in two weeks, of course, we don't process it, but every time we say something like that, we're pointing to the creative activity of the one true God. We are separating the God who created the world and all that is in it. We're separating him from all the false gods, all the idols that clutter and dominate the religions of the world. Weeks point to creation. Creation points to a creator. That's why we celebrate weeks. But why this pause? Why did God rest on the seventh day? What kind of rest was this? A couple of years ago, Rini and I went to a church near here on a Sunday. And the pastor was doing an illustrated sermon. And it was on, of all things, keeping the Sabbath and the importance of keeping the Sabbath. And the pastor came out dressed in keeping with his topic. He was dressed in casual cargo shorts. He had sandals, uh, a, a, a t-shirt. And he was making the point that we are all kind of stressed out. He had this bag, like a beach bag, over his shoulder. And then out of it, he kept pulling stuff out. A cell phone. This was a few years back. A Blackberry. A shopping list. A wallet and a bunch of credit cards. All the things that make our lives hectic and fast-paced. And these, we were told, were the things bringing stress and burnout and bondage into our lives. And to free us from all of these, God has given us a precious gift. A day. A Sabbath to kick back. A day to catch fresh breath. A day to rest from all the mad material pursuits of the rat race. And if we ignore this day, we'll burn out and we'll start to fray around the edges. That was it. Sabbath. It's a rest. Take a break. You can't just rev the engine for too long without this God-given pause. Now, there's some truth to that, but it's nowhere near what the Bible is saying about the Sabbath day. Not even close to what the Bible teaches about the Sabbath day. 
please hear this. The Sabbath is not a synonym, not an equivalent for day off. We certainly do need a day off. It has nothing to do with what the Bible says about the Sabbath. The kind of rest we need isn't just a physical break. The kind of rest we need is a day that teaches and trains us to live different lives. Not merely one that gives us a break to go back to the same life again when we're rested up. That's that Exodus 31.13. This is a sign between you and me throughout your generations. That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify, change, transform you. We should know this. I mean, we should know it from the scriptures themselves. Did God really rest on the Sabbath day? Did he just go, whew, am I beat? Man, if I have to create one more tree, I'm just going to go out of my mind. I just, I'm sorry, I just have to sit down and, whew. That can't be. No, the text tells us what God did on the Sabbath. God pondered his own works on the seventh day in a way that would be highly egotistical for any other being in the universe, but in a way that is perfectly righteous for God. It says he took, he looked at his own sheer grace and power and goodness of his creation. And the Lord said it was, it was just good. That's what we do. We, we fill our minds with the mighty, gracious, all-powerful, above all non-creating God's creator. That's why the world is filled with weeks. That's what they give testimony to. So the Sabbath was never given just as a chance to chill and rest so that we could return to the mad pursuit of self in the new week. It was the Sabbath was given to redeem and transform and sanctify the way we think all together. If there's anything the Bible makes clear about the Old Testament Sabbath, it's this. For obvious reasons, there are verses we quote a little less often, but which pull back layers and give a little more, a little more detail, a little more progressive revelation about Sabbath and Sabbath abuse. Here's more information. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, the prophet speaks to God's people, not comforting words. They're wondering where God is and why God isn't reviving them and why he's not blessing them and why he's not answering their prayers, why the heavens seem cold and dark and silent. And the prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaks through him. Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, And the holy day of the Lord, honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, not seeking your own pleasure, not talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Oh, there's what the Sabbath is for. My heart needs to be trained, and it takes one day in seven. My heart needs training to learn to delight in the Lord. 
And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the Sabbath was given, first, to show there's a creator. Second, to show that God wants to sanctify our lives. It's not a day off. You need a day off. Take Saturday. Take whatever day off you want to take. The Sabbath is not a day off. It's not to recharge. It's to sanctify. So you take all those Old Testament passages, you start to fit them together. And when you take them all together, the words given to Moses, God wants to sanctify the people on his holy day. The word through Isaiah, God wants people to learn to delight in the Lord rather than their own pleasures. Okay, so we're starting to unpack it a little bit. Point number two. What we did in point number one is this. Establish the proportions. One day in seven. The purpose to reorient, to train, to sanctify our lives in relationship to God. To teach us to delight in the Lord. The proportions are one day in seven. Point number two. After establishing the proportions of one day in seven to know our creator God and become sanctified and transformed by him, the central theme of the Old Testament Sabbath is further sharpened. In other words, we're still getting more information. Progressive revelation starts to unpack Sabbath details beyond just the bare creation account, and we need to stay with what the Bible says. Here's another really important passage on the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5. Is that in your notes? Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15? Okay. Observe the Sabbath day. So that doesn't sound new. That sounds like Exodus. To keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Nothing new there. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the soldier within your gates, that your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. Nothing totally new there. This is different. So what am I supposed to think about on the Sabbath? 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, there's the connector. That that means because. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You couldn't get out of this on your own. You weren't big enough. You weren't strong enough. You had no hope. You were captive to a different alien power. And God brought you out. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. And I start to go, oh, oh, so there's something mentally that's supposed to be going on in my mind with the concept of the Sabbath. It's to honor and show that there is a creator. That's why we have weeks. It's so God can sanctify and transform. But how is he going to do that? What's the content of it? And now I see it's, it's to focus on deliverance. The Sabbath focuses on divine deliverance from a captivity we could not escape on our own. So they weren't to do work for themselves. We've looked at that. Why were those instructions given? So what were they to do while they didn't work? Contemplate their belly buttons. Count clouds. Shop. 
Take the boat out. Cut the grass. What are we supposed to do when I don't go to work? Well, they were to cease to do their own work so they would have one day in seven to give, listen to me, full, undivided, concentrated attention to something else. They were to study and ponder and rejoice in and study again and celebrate God's delivering work on their behalf. That's what God told them. This is the reason given for the break in their regular routine. Learning and knowing God takes more time than people think. Isn't it humbling for us to sit here and say, I need a full day every week just to maintain my spiritual life. I need a full day every week just to curb the influence of the other six. An hour Sunday morning is not going to do it. I need a day in seven just to break even spiritually. It takes sustained time, uninterrupted time, to contemplate all the magnitude of God's grace and delivering goodness. You can't do it in just a few minutes. You can't do it while you're immersed in other activities at the same time. It takes undistracted concentration over time. You can't do it in one hour or two. God says, take a day in every seven. Right from the creation of the world onward, we're forced with the lesson that we, we are not as naturally spiritually inclined as we might like to think. There's a lot of dead weight. It takes a day in seven just to break even spiritually. It takes a day in seven. So after establishing the week's proportions, God states the purpose. Israel ponders deeply her deliverance from Egypt. She ponders how her creator used creation itself. Turning water into blood, frogs, seas parting to form dry pathway, cloud, pillar of fire to guide. Israel was smaller. Israel was weaker. She had done nothing to earn her deliverance. She needed the Sabbath so she would remain thankful. She would remain thoughtful. She would remain grateful. She needed the Sabbath to remain warm toward God. And without this turning of attention to her delivering God, she would become, and she did, just like the nations all around her. No wonder God said, keep the Sabbath. Please keep the Sabbath. You are more idolatrous than you think, Don. You're more prone to idolatry than you think. You're more prone to false affections than you think. You're more prone to distractions than you think. Don, you need a day in seven. We'll get a different day, you'll see in a minute. But the principle, the delivering work of God, celebrated by his people, contemplated by his people. Point number three. I told you this would be a little longer. Do you want me just to quit? Okay, four of you want me to keep going, so I will for a little bit. 
Here's where we turn a corner. All that the Old Testament Sabbath, all that that model began to teach, finds its completion in Christ who is Lord of the Sabbath. Let me quickly read Matthew 12, 1 to 8. Because it's very typical of something that happens over and over again in the ministry of Jesus. People did not get this Sabbath thing. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Here we go. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. The Pharisees, wouldn't you know it, the Pharisees saw it, and they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how we entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. By the way, David wasn't supposed to do that. And that's why Jesus picks this example. Which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Here's the sentence. For... The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That phrase, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Pharisees said, Jesus, your disciples, they're breaking the Sabbath. And here's the point. They were. They absolutely were breaking the Sabbath. Never once does Jesus deny that they were breaking the Sabbath laws. Because it wasn't the issue. The real issue, pressed home by Jesus, is these blazing words. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's the new issue. That's what these Jewish leaders didn't get. Jesus takes that old Sabbath concept and in bold, sweeping, divine, and absolutely majestic words, he says, I own the Sabbath. You don't get it. It was always pointing to me. It was always about me. It was about the deliverance that I would bring greater than the deliverance from Egypt that they were supposed to contemplate. There's a deeper bondage. There's a deeper need. You Pharisees don't even see it. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It was always pointing to the redeeming, redemptive work that I would bring on your... Sabbath is not a day off. It's so much bigger than that. Do take a day off. Just don't make it your worship day. The Sabbath is forever Christ-centered. It's not Moses-centered. It's not Israel-centered. It's not temple-centered. There's another passage I'm not going to read. Jump ahead to point number four in your notes. Each Lord's Day reminds us of the faithfulness of God to keep all of his promises to his redeemed children. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's why God rested on the Sabbath. It wasn't because God was in creation on the seventh day. It wasn't because God was tired, beat, and worn out and needed a break. The writer of Hebrews tells us why God rested. And he said it's, it's to give us a picture of 
entering into rest through redemption in Christ. In other words, there's a pattern in creation that's designed to picture a person who struggles with self and sin. And he comes and enters into something he finds of God's delivering grace in Christ. And, oh, I could never accomplish this myself. I could never bring this about. God didn't rest because he was beat. He rested to show us what it will be like when people finish their striving, finish their work, and find deliverance from captivity in Jesus Christ. That's the picture that the writer of Hebrews paints. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So there's two words that don't seem to go right together, eh? Strive and rest. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The new creation, it's purchased. It's not delivered. This fascinating text says that we rest and we strive at the same time. I trust in God's grace and I press on to know him more fully. The Lord's day, the fulfillment of the Sabbath, it's full of promise. Just as... The Old Testament deliverance from Egypt Sabbath looked with anticipation to the deliverance Christ would provide in the fulfillment of the new. So the resurrection of Christ anticipates a final victory that we don't see yet. So here, the Old Testament Sabbath. They're celebrating deliverance from Egypt. They're to contemplate it. But we know now that they were looking forward to something they couldn't see yet. The deliverance from sin that would come through Christ, right? That's what that was about. That's what Jesus says. That's what it was about. Now, here we are. We've entered into rest and redemption in Christ. But there's something else that we don't see yet. Just like they didn't see. There's something we don't see yet. And that is the completion of all that Christ purchased for us through the cross. A new creation in which righteousness dwells. Every Sunday, you walk into this church. You did it tonight. Every Sunday, you park your car, you get out, you walk across the parking lot. And you walk through a world of tsunamis and earthquakes and cancer and abuse and starvation and abortion, and perversion, and immorality, and war. And who among us hasn't, in the quiet of his own heart, said, God, what what are you doing? And every Sunday you walk into this church, and you wrestle all over again with your own incompleteness in Christ, you and I, We all long for the day when we see him face to face in perfect Christ-likeness. Long for the day when I am, I long for the day when I won't fail Jesus ever again. I'm sick of failing Jesus in any little way. We all long for that ultimate, permanent, complete Sabbath rest. And every day we come into this, every Lord's Day, we come into this church. 
We walk, we walk in the fulfillment of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We walk in the fulfillment of a million butchered lambs and rams. We walk in the fulfillment of temples filled with smoke and incense, but unchanged hearts longing for the coming of a Redeemer. In each Sunday service, no matter how dull or ordinary, it whispers into the listening ear, see, I, I keep my promises. My plan isn't done yet. But the day you're celebrating celebrates the completion of it all. Keep the Lord's day. Sabbath wasn't a day off, isn't a day off, never will be a day off. Do take a day off. You need to rest. I get it. Don't use Sunday. That's his day. Its purpose is to sanctify us. To celebrate our deliverance through Christ and to look forward to the coming of a new creation. And our hearts need to constantly be reminded one day in seven we need the tugging of our hearts in that direction. Let's pray.